episode was recorded on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Huron Nation. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. We honour their histories, cultures and traditions of storytelling. Hello and welcome to Plated Three Food Memories. I'm your host, Savas Savas. of a century my catering company Plated has contributed food experiences for some of Australia's most extravagant and intimate soirees. Food connects us. It connects us to people, to places and to moments in time. These memories shape who we are and what we value. So come and break bread with my guests and I as they share their food memories, revealing far more about themselves than what they've tasted. Today's guest and I share the same birthday and a love of cold pizza. Jessie Ware, wife, mother, singer-songwriter, podcaster, is one busy, busy lady. Her music weaves pop, dance, electronica, soul, rhythm and blues, much like Lisa Stansfield did for us older folk in the 90s. Like Lisa, Jessie's music is natural, relaxed and uncomplicated. At 37, Jessie's back-to-back career achievements are underpinned by a music catalogue that will fill a playlist to the moon. At her heart, she's an ensemble player and no happier when collaborating with the likes of Florence and the Machine, Ed Sheeran and Kylie. However, my favourite Jessie collaboration is the podcast Table Manners she started in 2017 with her mother Lenny. Together, daughter and mother cook for and interview famous people whose elbows you and I would break limbs to have at our own dinner tables. Jessica Lois Ware, what's your pleasure? Well, t- t- this morning it's you, Sava. You look fabulous in your Izzy Mayaki. We don't need to talk about the British Airways pyjamas underneath, but actually they're very good, aren't they? Um, and um, it's just a pleasure to do this, honestly. I feel so far away from... Australia yet so connected and especially through this podcast um, and my music so thank you thank you for 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 chatting to me oh my goodness thank you for agreeing to be part of this with us now you're carrying some full plates at the moment you're working on new music (laughs) you're resuming a national UK tour you've got four nights in LA doing a live stage show uh, for the Table Manners podcast you're performing at Gladstonebury you've released a book Mm. and uh, family um how how um oh god right so um I don't know no it's good people around me a team takes a village you're a parent you know what it's like um do you have twins I have twins two boys wow yeah you know what it's like it's a handful but it's fun (laughs) and the chaos is great um so um I don't know I I think the podcast has become this very much like a full-time job and I, I say job loosely because it's 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 wonderful you get to eat with people that you worship um and then after I speak to you I'm going off to Notting Hill to this lovely man Stuart Price's house to make music and to sing and la 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 and right 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 and um and 
and then I have my children and yeah so I I'm very very busy but I like it that way I thrive off being busy I think um and um I don't know I think it kind of for me fuels more creativity really I just go back to to table manners 2022 NME magazine award for best podcast I mean buckets of mazel tov buckets and buckets congratulations you to so you both thank you it was so funny taking my mum to her first award show but like a music award show I mean I've never been up for an enemy award ever in my life for my four albums however I win it with my 70 year old mother and I'm fine by that um she gets up on the stage as soon as we win and and and, and the trophy is a, a finger that's like that up yours um it's kind of a bronze up yours finger it's it, it's um brilliant and um and I can't wait for mum to have it around the dinner table when she's hosting dinner parties. And how did the audience respond to Lenny when she got up on stage? It's funny because I'm seeing that she's potentially more iconic than me. I mean, I don't think I'm iconic, but like she, she gets a massive cheer. She used to get a massive cheer when she was just my mother doing the Queen Wave in the balcony um, when I'd be performing. But now that we have, everyone knows her voice, everyone loves her, people approach her all the time. And it, I, she's quite... Um, you know, recognisable because she's always in leopard print and she's always got a red lip and she's always moaning about something so someone can hear that voice and recognise it. So this podcast is really a way of you to say, hey, mum, thank you for supporting me and my siblings. This is your time to shine, isn't it? It's quite a beautiful thing. I mean, I'd like to say, yes, we can we can go with that. I think I'm kind of um, uh, taking the, the mick and... and, and, and um, and basically using and abusing my mother. She's <laughs> she's the ticket and she is the reason that it's so successful. So, yeah, she needs to bloody carry on with it, whether she likes it or not. I'm going to play a little snap um, shot from one of the podcasts because, to me, this captures the essence and the hilarity <laughs> of what's going on here. Oh, Mum, 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 actually, I needed to tell you this. So we put out um, what would be Mum's drag name. Now, there is a most fantastic chef that you should follow. She's a baker, but also the greatest eater I've ever seen on Instagram. Oh, number is... six. Oh, lovely. Number six. Sorry, I'm just doing an intro here, Mum. Sorry. Mum's checking the charts. Her name is Martha DeLacy, and she runs Muff Kitchen, which is a really... Oh, that's a bit rude. <laughs> well, anyway... Muff Kitchen! <laughs> you can't have that! Oh, she, she does do muff dining. <laughs> Yeah. Muff diving or muff dining? Mama, <laughs> so filthy. She's going to love this because she's a massive fan of the podcast. <gasps> and she does muff dining <laughs> supper. Stop laughing. She's an amazing baker. I was going to get you a subscription to the Muff Kitchens. I can't. Oh, well, I love Martha. She's really good fun. Um, because she's made my mum laugh the most she's ever laughed in about a year. <laughs> Listen, I just want to say it's it's not always as uh, potentially uh, innuendo. Actually, it's full of innuendo, but sometimes we are a bit more civilised than that. So tell us, how did this podcast come to be? 
I think I was slightly disillusioned with music and making music and feeling a bit stuck in a rut. And I, I listened to a handful of podcasts. It was really when podcasts weren't as kind of big as they are now. And my friend Jamie was like, you know what, you're so bloody nosy, you should do one. And I thought about it and I kind of thought about that. That was in 2016, I thought about it. I was trying to refine the idea. I kept on going around. It was when Rob Brydon and Steve Coogan had done the trip. And I was like, God, that looks like the best job ever. They just go and eat food. I was like, right, could we do it in a restaurant? And then I was like, no, it's going to be too noisy, clattery. I was like, well, mum's a great cook. So why don't we just do it at mum's? And it kind of, it, it, it was, it was relating to my mum always hosting and always having people over and always catering for people. And that being part of my childhood and growing up and something I was really proud of. Initially, I didn't know how much of a role she would have apart from making the food, which kind of seems like I was taking the piss. However, it was very apparent from when we recorded uh, the beginning, at the beginning, that she was never going to just, you know, serve the food and, and, and be quiet. And I'm so proud and excited and happy that she... She really threw herself into it. And people have just... I, I think she's great. She drives me mad, don't get me wrong. But now everyone knows what Lenny's like. She's quite a remarkable, brilliant person and the queen of hosting. Now, you've had some of my favourite people on your show. Robbie Williams, Dawn yeah. French, Nigella, yeah. Fern Cotton, yeah. uh, David Schwimmer, Twiggy, yeah. like yeah. Twiggy yeah. and... Stanley Tucci, my absolute man crush. He was great. What have been some of your highlights in the 13 series that you've you've recorded? I mean, you're just reeling off some of those names. I forgot about Twiggy and like... Oh, David Twiggy. Trimmer was, David Trimmer was it, was... it could have been really awkward. It was the first time that we'd done like a press junket. We went to him in a hotel and we never do that um, because the whole art is that they come to us and we cook for them. But So we brought an offering of banana bread and it... And I f he looked really tired and he'd been doing press all day and you could just see he was a bit like, who are these bloody women that are coming in? Oh, yeah, they like this. And then we got talking about his bat mitzvahs and his, his obsessions with coffee or... Anyway, and then we fed him some banana bread that my brother, the doctor, had made. And he was just the one-liner that he made. It was, just, it, it was a bit dry and that was quite embarrassing and he didn't hold back he said do you want my honest opinion and we went yeah and he went it, it's dry and then he went fully into ross and it was just so good and um my mum said but um but david you can't say that my son's been up all night saving lives and he went well he just took one um and it was just amazing and it was kind of you could just feel that we all it clicked and for him he was like oh this was actually a pleasure this was brilliant um, and that's really nice to win over a guest too. Not that like we're like, you know, putting a gun to their head to do it. But I think some of them are, you know, are kind of tired of doing the promo. And ours is such a different chat that it's kind of refreshing for them. Last November, you released a sexy duet, Kisses, with Kylie. How did that duet come about? So Kylie came on the podcast and that was a really big deal for me because she was my first concert I ever went to. We were obsessed with Neighbours. We were obsessed with Kylie and Jason. And we just loved her. And so for her to be in our kitchen serving her some halibut, or was it turbot? Anyway, it was wonderful. And we both done these disco records. Hers hadn't come out yet, I don't 
think, because she started playing it to me and I felt, and it was amazing. Mine had come out, I think. And I just said, oh my God, we've both done like these disco groove records, amazing. And then I just was cheeky and when she was, I, I knew she'd had a nice time. And when she left, I was like, you know, maybe we should write together. And she said, oh yeah, I'd love that. And she was up for it. So then what we did is we, I wrote something with my songwriters that I wrote the last record with and my producer. We wrote something that was very loose, that was open for Kylie to say yes or no. Oh, can I do this? You know, second verse was out there for the taking, whatever, all of this. So I was like, look, this is an idea, scratch idea. What do you think? She was like, I love it. We, we basically worked on it together and it was amazing. And then when we got to do the video, that was quite a good food memory, you know, because it was... Um, you attacking the tomatoes with the black well, gloves. Oh. Yeah, yeah, kind of Basil Fawlty, kind of uh, Almodovar, kind of, um, you know, telenovela. Um, it was really fun. It was wild because it was a middle of the night shoot. I had an eight week old baby and I'd been like, I'm on maternity leave. But then you go, well, we're going to do this video and it's with Kylie Minogue. And you're like, yeah, I, I got to do it. <laughs> so and it was with um, with Sophie Miller, who is this amazing director who has done Sade, had worked with Kylie, who I was obsessed with. But of course, Sophie bloody wanted to do a middle of the night shoot. I was like, for God's sake. So I started a bit later than Kylie. And so I went into this Italian, um, which is really kind of everyone on Instagram. So it's called Ave Mario in Covent Garden. And we had the whole downstairs and it's kind of mirrored walls. It's really wacky. It's really fun. And they had chefs on. And we had all these extras that were in completely brilliant outfits. Kylie was there with like a kind of uh, a brilliant hairdo and fur and fake fur and a big hat. And she was just, and she was really in character. And um, she, it was like, it was Kylie's party. She was like, Jessie, you're here. And then it was like, literally, I started my first bit at 3.30 and she was like, come on. And she made everyone dance at my recording bit. Um, and we were doing the conga at like 4.30 in the in an Italian restaurant. And then about 6.30, everyone broke for kind of breakfast or a break. And she was like, Jesse, do you want some, do you want some uh, uh, pasta? And I was like, I mean, at this point, yeah, sure, I'll have some pasta. <laughs> so Kylie and I were eating spaghetti at 6.30 in the morning in full kind of drag makeup. Um, it was completely bizarre, but, but so fantastic. Um, and then watching, I mean, working with her on a TV performance, just seeing what a pro she is. <gasps> I mean, I, I, I've got a lot to learn. Do you pinch yourself sometimes and go, how the did I get here? Yeah, and actually what I've learned is that initially I, I pinch myself, but I pinch myself too hard and go, you don't deserve it. And, um, and this isn't, you know, what are you doing? And in my kind of over 10 years of doing this now, I try and savour every moment that's happening, you know, like the Kylie Minogue moment. Um, like, you know, when I see a club in Brazil all singing What's Your Pleasure and being like, oh my God, like my music has travelled. And when I, you know, go to an award show and I win something, it's it, I try and enjoy it now because I think I didn't enjoy it for so long because I was so felt so apologetic for being there. Well, you've definitely earned your place at the table. Are you Thank ready you. to get into your food memories now? Because I am ready to hear them. Yes, absolutely. Let's start with your first one. Okay, so I'm going to start with one that's kind of an early memory and kind of maybe something that's uh, etched on my mind and now my tooth. So... <laughs> 
I was eating a toffee apple when I was about 13. And um, I was at my mate's house and I had a singing competition the next day that my mum had made me bloody do. And I ate, bit into this toffee apple and my tooth fell out. Now, the reason my tooth fell out was because my sister had knocked it out when I was seven years old on the bath, as you do as siblings, like proper, like head banged it. I had a fake tooth and uh, it was a real shame. And yet my mum, instead of going, don't worry, darling, you don't have to do that Sunday morning singing contest. She made me go to an emergency 24 hour dentist and stick some putty on there so that I could perform the next day. Now, my mum wasn't a real like stage schooly mother, but she really wanted me to sing at this competition. Needless to say, I did not win the competition because I was so aware of like this kind of gray cement on my tooth that would kind of been planted on. However, in that um, competition, there was a girl called Florence Welch who oh. was also singing in it. And she came first place with uh, ma mahogany. Uh, do you know where you're going to? And I was just there with like this stuck out tooth. Now, the tooth carried on driving me mad because throughout my years, it was this tooth and a reminder whenever I go clubbing, it would, it would not glow. So in, under the UV light, <laughs> I remained toothless. So you didn't want to smile in the club. Now, so fast forward again, my now husband, we started going out when we were 18. And we went to go and see uh, Todd Edwards, a, a brilliant DJ, at Fabric, a nightclub in London. And I was on driving duty, so I drove in my Cinquecento, drove us there. And when we were there, it was when, like, glass bottles were allowed to be in clubs. And I think people were still smoking. And um, we um, were listening, and I had my glass, of, uh, my glass bottle of Coca-Cola. And my husband went, bow, like, and did a trigger finger, like, to be like, pull up the track, like that and knocked my tooth out uh, with, cause I was drinking from the glass bottle. And we'd only been in our relationship for like three months. So it was completely mortifying. And then I had to be like, don't worry, it's not real anyway, my tooth. And then he was like, wow, this is so weird. <laughs> anyway, I've now got a veneer and I think it glows in UV and we're all okay. But yeah, it's followed me with many a different um, scenario that's been highly embarrassing. That is my first food memory for you. The disco tooth that now glows. <laughs> yes, thank God, thank God. Now your husband, he's a bit dishy, isn't he? And a very he supportive, hus he's a very supportive man. He's very dishy, he's very sweet, he's very, um, he's wonderful. And I think probably, I was thinking about this like, maybe the reason we work so well is because we've grown up together. He's like my grounding presence. And if things are all getting a bit too ridiculous, he's there to kind of bring it all back down to the ground. And he's not, he's supportive of the, my success. He's made my life incredible, but also, you know, he's the most amazing father and he's not a stay at home father, but he is, um, you know, I, I, I have to bring home the bacon and he is absolutely there for it. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't do it without him. What's he like in the kitchen? He's, he's good, but I feel like I'm, I probably don't give him enough time to be in the kitchen because I, it's the time when I switch off. So, for instance, we had friends over on Saturday and I just kind of kept on adding more plates and dishes to this um, butterfly lamb that we were doing and um, and he's kind of like Jesse just sit down enough he'd be happy with a jacket potato with beans and cheese um, but then when he eats it he's very much appreciative but he is very good um, 
he is very good. His spaghetti bolognese is far superior to mine. And he likes he likes instruction, though. He likes to follow a recipe, but he's, he takes so bloody long, it drives me mad. So it's better that you get in there and do it. and, and Exactly. <clears throat> but this is kitchen. what my mother used to do. Ah. But that's what my mum used to do. She used to get very irritated if I wanted to get involved. You know, I'm trying to be a bit more patient with my kids. But again, I'm like, oh, give the bloody rolling pin to me. Come on. Um, but, you know, my mum, I remember, she just wouldn't ever get let me get a look in in the kitchen because she'd be like I, i'm just gonna do it but i did learn through watching her and being obsessed do you create new food memories and traditions with your own children i'm trying to um actually it brings me on to my next food memory really you know i'm jewish and i regard it more in a cultural sense you know um and however i am having a bat mitzvah in november why? So let's go to this bat, bat, bat mitzvah. It's a it's a preparation, a, a coming of age ritual in 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 Judaism, in Jewish traditions. Yeah. What was the inspiration for taking this rite of passage at thirty seven? I think because I do this podcast where it stemmed out of Friday night dinners that we'd have people over for. We didn't have that many Jewish friends, and we were from South London, which isn't very Jewish. Um, my mum had been brought up, um, you know, very Jewish. Friday nights, she was never allowed out, even though she'd sneak out. Um, whereas that wasn't the same with ours, but we'd use Friday nights as an, in a celebratory way to invite friends over that weren't Jewish and eat the food like the candles. And I loved it, and I was very proud of it. We always honoured High Holy Days, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, um, Passover. So for me, it was very much around food that these things were, whether you were not eating on Yom Kippur and you were breaking your fast with that delicious bit of um, fruit loaf that we'd have at the end of the, and, and that, that cup of tea that just hit in a different way um, when you haven't eaten for 24 hours or drunk anything. And my grandma's breaded place or chopped and fried fish that she would do um, for us whenever we'd come and see her in Manchester. Um, pass over the, the Seder plate. You know, these were things that I found so fascinating, but I didn't really understand what each bit symbolised. Yes, I knew the salt water with the egg on Rosh Hashanah, or is it Passover? Whoops, I don't know. Um, is to symbolise the new life and tears that were shed, you know. So, And I love all the kind of drama to it and the storytelling. So I was like, you know what? I've got children of my own. By blood, they're Jewish. So whether they choose to practice it or not, but I wanted to offer them these rituals. So I needed to learn them. Um, so I'm being taught by an amazing um, feminist poet, doctor, Jewish studies extraordinaire, who actually used to be babysat by my grandma in Manchester and also taught my brother when he was 13. So I it's very special. That connection is still, it's so beautiful. So she's teaching me. And I think actually... I'm like one of those um, mature students, obviously, I'm 37. Um, but it's so fascinating. Re I'm learning Hebrew and decoding, and that is really hard. And then you've got laning on top of that, which is like the singing code. And it's just wild. How does it make you feel to do all this? Is it, It's such a privilege, isn't it, to have access yeah. to, this, to this heritage and this culture and for it not to be lost? Absolutely. I mean... I think that it's something worth celebrating and I believe in Jewish pride and I'm so proud to be Jewish. 
and I want to celebrate that and I want to sing it from the rooftops in a in a kind of creative and fun way um and I want to shine a light on the positive aspects of this culture that I have been given and I feel very lucky to have it you know my husband's incredibly interested by it and supportive of it because he's just he hasn't got any of that you know he he didn't he didn't grow up with any of that so he just, he loves it. I mean, he particularly loves the chicken soup. I mean, my mum's chicken soup is fantastic. The kids love it too. You got a serving, I think, on, I just quickly grabbed a snap of Joanna Lumley's um, uh, podcast just before I came online with you and your mum gave you a serve about your chicken soup. Yeah, she didn't say it was very good. It, it, look, because she puts all that bloody chicken soup, Temla, like we love Temla, but, but like Telma. Yeah, it, it was it was slightly under-seasoned. What did she say? You said the flavours were subtle and she said it means it had no flavour. She... Uh, yeah, she was quite mean about that, actually. Okay, it's a work in progress. I've never had, had to do it, really, because she's always done it, but... It's now time. It is now time for all of us to kind of capture that yeah. all. Do you feel a sense of responsibility to make sure you get it right as it moves on? Yeah, I do. I think that, like, but it's so specific to each family, isn't it? You know, everyone has a different chicken soup. Everyone thinks their mothers or grandmothers or fathers is, is, is the best. But um, I'm still learning and I like learning and I feel very lucky to be learning at this age. And it's, you know, I don't I have lots on this year, but this is quite a nice thing to carry me through the whole year. And then we get a big party at the end of it. And maybe I'll do magic theme like David Schwimmer. Who knows? <laughs> For your third food memory, your mum. Yeah, I mean, mum is implicit. Like she she's she's there in most of my food memories, as are my friends and family, that's kind of what you remember, right? The good and the bad, right? Um, but um, always what we were eating. Um, but majority of the meals with my mum have been fabulous. But I mean, I could say so many things about my mother, whether that's her giving me cream on ice cream when I had a when I was feeling sad and her just fixing it with a bit of cream on ice cream at 8.30 at night when I was about 11. And that was kind of the beginning of the end with her. I mean, it was it, it was a bit of a downward spiral after that. But um, no, she's just the generosity, I think, that my mum gives when she cooks. It's like, you know, the chicken soup in an Uber when I've lost my voice. She She's there. It's an extension of love for her, as it is for so many people. You know, what can I cook? Oh, oh, there's a drop. There's a there's a catastrophe. OK, what am I going to cook? How can I solve this um, with food? And you look, I could I could talk about so much from my mum. But I think just to show and if people have listened to the podcast, they'll understand this is kind of quintessential Lenny. My mum and dad aren't together. And my dad left when oh God, I think I was about nine or ten and they were breaking up. And my mum would always offer omelettes. This was her thing. It was like, in any time of need, she would offer omelettes. We were on holiday and I was writing my book and we were just chatting. Um, and she went, oh, speaking about omelettes, she said, I remember when your dad left and he was packing up his stuff and he said, before I go, can I make an omelette? And mum said, yeah, sure. And he went, and can I take the whisk? And she went, I draw the line at that now, f off. <laughs> and it's just so, 
it was it, like the generosity of mum with food. Of course, like my dad was about to leave the family home. They were breaking up. However, she still felt like he should have a good full stomach before he left. Um, but he ain't taking that whisk. And it's just, it's just kind of, it's, it's the beauty of mum, you know, there's kind of, and I think it is that however cheesy this is, you've got to break a few eggs to make an omelette. And I think that that's kind of so representative of my upbringing, you know, yes, my mum has done an incredible job. However, behind the scenes, people don't see the dramas that are happening, the dysfunctionality, but we get through it. We survive it like every family, you know, um, it's not perfect and we don't want it to be perfect and we learn from the imperfections, but there is something so brilliant about the chaos and the madness that has surrounded my family and also the generosity and love that she has always given me, particularly through food. She gives a lot of herself. You can actually see in the podcast because oh, that's she my lets everyone know about it though, doesn't she? Oh yes, yeah. she's like, oh, I'm knackered, and she's knackered. She's seventy. <laughs> But she has a lot there. She has this source, but she's so dedicated to her children and 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 your yeah, and your obsessed. families. My mum was brought up very Jewish. Friday nights, every every Friday, synagogue. She had a bat heil, which isn't like what we do now. Which is a you can have your own bat mitzvah now. I read today girls have only been allowed bat bat mitzvahs for a hundred years. But initially, it was you did it as a group of girls. Now you can do your own one. But anyway, so she got back, back hiled, or yeah. So she grew up in Manchester, obsessed with soul music. Um, grandma was a great cook, but it wasn't like fancy food at that time. She knew exactly what food she was having on each day. Um, you know, it 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 was leftovers on the Monday. Um, you know, it was it was very ord ordered. Um, and she she went to school. She did okay. She kind of got away with things. She's quite bright, but she never worked very hard. She says that did social work, she's still a social worker. And she was obsessed with being, uh, she wanted to be a French girl, so she smoked um, those long cigarettes, gouloirs or something they're called, um, and she smoked them on the, on the steps of the Tate and try and pretend she was French. I think she s sought out the glamour. And so, yeah, she definitely has lost her Manchester accent. But yeah, she's kind of always been this social worker that uh, social workers do incredible work, but it isn't a glamorous job in the slightest. So I think her glamour came from her red lip and her hosting and her, and her kind of her leopard print. That became kind of her signature and having great conversations. So yeah, she kind of, she, she's always been quite fabulous. I think like if anybody, is intrigued by my mother you just need to listen to the podcast that's her in all her glory like that's it and you know you know uh, the good and the bad and the ugly you know when we did Sir Paul McCartney we cooked for him and she shouted at me because I told her to be a bit quieter because she was chatting to Mary McCartney and I was trying to get I knew I only had an hour with Paul and they were chatting and I, she was, they were speaking over a bit that he was talking about, about a sandwich, which is incredibly important information. So I just went, Mum, can you do it? She went, yes, and she shouted at me <laughs> like they were part of the family. And I was so mortified. And um, Paul McCartney found it hysterical. Jesse, I'd like to move on to your social cause now. Can you tell us yeah. about that? So I am a proud patron of the Apples and Honey Nursery um, which is a nursery in South London, which is the first intergenerational nursery in the UK. 
Now that means it's it's tied to a Jewish old people's home called Nightingale House. Um, but the the nursery is for anybody, for any children from uh, of any um, religion, no faith um, uh, background. It's it, it, it's for everybody. However, what they do is they um, they interact with the elderly people in the old people's home, and they do activities together, whether that's exercise, cooking, um, singing, dancing, um, talking, just talking. And it's been, it's so incredibly beneficial for both the child and the um, older person. And it's just an incredible initiative. It's run by this fantastic woman called Judith Ishorovitz, who has done so much work to get this off the ground and is actually in the um, in the stages of um, trying to create a diploma for people to be able to train in intergenerational um, therapy in their town with their nursery with uh, connected to an old people's home potentially or or a charity an old people's charity so they're doing that but yeah it, it, it requires so much work and it was so hard in the pandemic because they weren't able to see each other so they did whatever they could to connect. So whether that was through Zoom, um, through um, panes of glass, they kept it going and they kept the spirit alive. And I, I find them so inspiring and incredible. And I've seen how important and therapeutic and uplifting it is for both parties. And so that is my cause that I am so, so proud to be a part of. It's Apples and Honey, Nightingale House. Jesse, I know you've got to race off now and do some songwriting, but are you planning any time a visit to Australia anytime? Because All you are I want so in, welcome. Honestly, I really feel like it's overdue. I haven't been there, I think, since 2013. It was for my first record and I did Laneway and I loved it so much. And it was amazing. And I I think this re last record has really kind of made people in Australia and uh, along with the podcast I think which is really popular in Australia which I'm so thankful for um I think it's now time for me to be able to get over there if that's me supporting someone if that's me doing a table manners special there as soon as I can come to Australia I'm there with bells on I'm desperate you have the best food the best produce I love eating there um and I can't wait to come back I'm coming to London in September and I hope to meet you and give Lenny and you a really huge hug. Oh, thank you so much, Sava, for having me on this. It's been <laughs> such a pleasure to chat to you. Jessie, toy, 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 and, and good luck with all your projects going on. Thank you. Now go to bed. Thanks for listening to this episode of Plated Three Feed Memories. We'd love it if you could tell your friends about us, write a review and share to your heart explodes. Be sure to join me next time as I share a conversation with my longtime lady crush, comedian, screenwriter, creator and host of the Guilty Feminist podcast, Deborah Francis-White. Plated Three Food Memories is created in partnership with World Stories, produced and edited by Lauren McQuirter, an original score by Russell Torrance. Bye for now, and ora cali.